first you told us only through you could we know God and if we dared to question he wouldn't spare the rod for you we worked the soil for you we dug the moors for you we shed our blood and fought so many pointless wars and now you try to tell us there's nothing we can do you say the world around us belongs fairly to the few but about six billion people no doubt will agree this world is our home not your property it's the commons our right of birth and you who would enclose the land all around the earth our future is your downfall when we cut this ball and chain you who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain with our sweat we built the railroads built cities on these shores but because you own the money you see that it's all yours we laid the phone lines and the pipelines and then right before our eyes you see these things are taxes paid for you now will privatize privatize the hospitals privatize the schools privatize the prisons for all those who break your rules and preparing for the day when all the wells run dry you say you own the very rain that falls down from the sky but it's the commons our right of birth you who'd own the water all around the earth our future is your downfall when they cut this ball and chain you who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain you claim to own the harvest with your terminator seeds you claim to own the genomes of every animal that breeds you claim to own our culture and the music that we play and with each song that we download to your coffers we must pay you'd even own my name and you'd say it's for the best maybe you'll let us on your radio if our songs can pass your test you own country you own western you say you've given us a choice you may own the airwaves but you'll never own my voice it's the commons our right of birth and you who'd own the music all around the earth our future is your downfall when you cut this ball and chain you who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain it's the commons our right of birth and you who would own everything all around the earth our future is your downfall when you cut this ball and chain you who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain The opinions expressed on corporations and democracy are those of our guests and the hosts, and not necessarily of the management of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. Good evening and welcome to Corporations and Democracy for May 18th, 2023. This is the program that examines how corporations dominate our democracy and what citizens are doing to replace corporate dominance with true democracy. I'm Steve Scalmanini with co-host Annie Esposito. In today's program, We'll be discussing how big banks are profiting from climate chaos. Our guest is Shauna Foster, the Communications Manager for Climate and Energy at Rainforest Action Network. Shauna was one of several guests recently on uh, Harvey Wasserman's weekly Zoom meeting. That was a few weeks ago, and it really caught our attention with her knowledge of how large banks are financing fossil fuel infrastructure and the resulting climate chaos. She's been doing direct action and communications work for numerous causes since organizing in the anti-war movement back in 2006. Most recently, she's led work for The Frontline, Election Defenders, and About Face, Veterans Against the War. Her other regular activism is raising her two children at home in Denver, Colorado. 
So let's have a look at how the big banks are profiting from climate chaos. Shauna Foster, welcome to Corporations and Democracy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we really appreciate your being here. This uh, new study that uh, Rainforest Action Network put out, uh, Banking on Climate Chaos, is it's really pretty an amazing piece of work. Uh, we all know that the fossil fuel companies are the ones that are doing all the, the bad stuff out there vis-a-vis -vis the climate. But uh, as you say, or April Merlot says, the fossil fuel companies are dousing the planet, but big Banks hold the matches. So I guess that's the idea of looking into the big banks that are enabling all this. Yeah, banks like to portray themselves as neutral, that they're just doing what um, things demand, that there's no morality to it. But really, banks intervene for fossil fuels in a couple of important ways. Um, you know, with the fossil fuel market, it's a very volatile market. Like sometimes gas is worth a lot and sometimes it's worth nothing. Methane gas right now is worth nothing, but a year ago it was worth a lot. And when these fossil fuel companies, they're always going for broke. And so when they're broke, they get debt from banks. Whereas really, if you think about the fundamentals of free market capitalism, that should be the time that they should be forced to innovate to switch to different technologies that are a little bit more reliable than the volatile fossil fuels. But banks intercede and they get cheap debt to keep on going and keep on um, doing the exploration and destroying the planet. The other thing that banks do is uh, they act as financial advisors for loser projects. Fossil fuels is on its way out. It's not going to be profitable. But they want to squeeze every single last dollar and every single last piece of carbon out of the earth. And banks act as financial advisors for huge fossil fuel projects. And they go around talking to their other rich bank friends to say, hey, OK, we know fossil fuels is going to go out sometime, but not right now. So please go ahead and invest in this project or go ahead and invest that project. Invest here, invest in this. I'm investing in this. And so they kind of create this uh, suicide pact that they have put all this money into it and they need other people to also, or other banking institutions or private equity assets to also put all of their money into it. Otherwise, they're not going to get the money back. And we think that banks should just stop financing the fossil fuel industry, uh, starting with uh, ending all finance for fossil fuel expansion. Uh, there's only one bank that we have noted in the world who has met this requirement, which is, I hope you speak French, Les Banques Postales in uh. France is one of the banks that actually has that they're going to phase out financing from fossil fuels by 2030 and that they are going to stop lending to new corporations or projects. And um, in our data, they're the only ones there. And so people often say, okay, well, what should I do then? Should I go ahead and invest in my local credit union? Is Where, where is the good bank? Should I become a French citizen? And we <laughs> think there's actually a lot more power by staying at the bank that you're at. It's AGM season right now. Annual general shareholder meetings are going on for lots of corporations. And we have lots of resolutions in front of these banks demanding that they stop funding expansion, that they're more transparent, that they do things on absolute emissions. And these shareholder proposals get a good amount of votes, like 30% or so. But if we had people who were paying more attention to these shareholder resolutions voting, then that would send a clear message to these executives and boards that, hey, we want you to make 
money in a at least in a long-term fashion uh, the insurance industry right now for example is suffering a lot you know in uh, florida and georgia and texas insurance rates are quadrupling or even eight times as much as it used to be because the insurance industry miscalculated how much climate risk was going to be happening and so now they can't insure the average person anymore uh, they are choosing instead to insure fossil fuel companies. And so it's just foolhardy for a bank to go ahead and invest in fossil fuel companies when it's like, how are you going to be able to do mortgages anymore? How are you going to be able to do all the other financial instruments that your industry relies on if we don't have a stable planet to do those things? So that's our our kind of, a, you know, introductory speech, I guess, <laughs> about making <laughs> chaos and what people need to be doing and looking at and why it's such a problem. Well, spoken like a true activist, because you're starting right <laughs> off with what people can do about it. And the, so this one bank in the world here that's uh, actually set goals and is uh, on target to keep them, uh, uh, Banque Postale in France, by the name, I would guess that was a public bank? I don't know. The post I have no idea about Le Bank Postal. But it's one of the big majors. Like we in this report, we look at the top sixty banks and the top two thousand two hundred fossil fuel companies. So to be one of the top sixty banks, like we're not talking about your credit unions or your right. little um, kinds of financial institutions. We're talking about the majority of where wealth is held in the banking industry. And so Le Bank Postal is one of those big ones. Um, but I don't much know much more about them other than they're French and they're the only ones that have a plan that we think all banks should adopt, especially with the United Nations reports coming out saying and the International Energy Agency saying we cannot e explore and get any more fossil fuels no matter what. We have all of the sites and infrastructure we already need to transition to a different source of energy and a different source of economics to that undergirds that energy. We do not need to tap any new wells, do any more additional infrastructure whatsoever. And so banks really need to get the message and be a part of that. I was going to ask the same question a minute ago, so I'm going to beat me to it. You know, is Le Bank Postal investor owned or not? But I'll have to look it up after the program. In Unless, English, it would be Postal Bank, so yeah. that's what made me think it was a public bank. Yeah. But anyone listening can, uh, can maybe look that up uh, while they're listening and call in in the second half of the program and let us all know. And, of course, we all got a jolt, uh, a reality jolt the other day. Yesterday, there's a headline, uh, World Likely to Breach 1.5 Degrees Centimate Climate Threshold, that's uh, 2.7 in, in Fahrenheit, by uh, 2027. So this is the... Uh, the famous Paris Agreement uh, amount that we cannot exceed 1.5 degrees or else there'll be irreversible, disastrous climate chaos for generations to come. And so now the, the uh, World Meteorological Organization is saying that we are on course to go exceed that amount. So I guess they're saying, well, maybe not exceed it permanently, but we're going to we're going to set a new record that jumps above that uh, threshold because of an El Nino on top of the banks not being able to help themselves from financing continued extraction of fossil yeah, fuels. I mean, the Paris Agreement was a really important ambition. Uh, that's why the Banking on Climate Chaos Report looks at how much money has been invested since the Paris Agreement was enacted since 2016. 
uh, and that number is $5.5 trillion that has uh. been invested into the fossil fuel industry. Now, imagine if banks took the Paris Agreement seriously and instead invested, you know, $4 trillion, or not even the full $5.5 trillion, but as the amount that they have invested in renewables, what if those numbers were switched and they had invested over $5.5 trillion in renewables since the Paris Agreement? But the Paris Agreement said the world can't be any more than 1.5 degrees, and in less than 10 years, we are already experiencing those temperatures and the catastrophic things that are happening to people, like the income, you know, like the insurance industry not being able to stay afloat and protect people anymore because of the increasing uh, climate chaos, climate instability that is happening. Let me slip something in. It's just something that occurred to me some you know, a few years ago, but something I'm looking for historically, because you mentioned the the insurance industry and uh, individual homeowner properties being an issue. But what I'm looking for historically is the first time the insurance industry tells someone a, a fossil fuel company, we're not going to pay to rebuild your refinery after it gets severely damaged by a hurricane or something down on the Gulf Coast or something like this. That's going to yeah, be a wake-up call. Most of the time, people don't really realize that not only is it banks that are paying for climate chaos, investing in climate chaos, lending, financing climate chaos, but it's insurers too. <laughs> Liberty Mutual, for example, being one of the insurers of the uh, Trans Mountain Expansion Pipeline, is also the same insurer that is trying to, you know, with their constant commercials, saying, oh, you know, do your house insurance, do your auto insurance, do all of your insurance with us. But uh, insurers are pulling out of really uh, climate-affected areas. Insurers are denying people in California due to wildfires. People mm -hmm. are not able to afford. A lot of people move to Florida for cheap taxes, but now their insurance rates are four times what it used to be. Can seniors really afford to retire out the golden years in Florida anymore? It's just um, getting to be so expensive. And the insurance industry is really interesting because you have your first line insurers that are insuring projects and people. And then you have these things called reinsurers. And those are the insurers that insure. It's like an inception, right? Yes, like yes. <laughs> that insure the insurance agency mm -hmm. when things like this are happening, which is um, climate risk models failing. And so actually the reinsurers are a little bit more conservative about being like, I am not going to back you up if you keep on insuring things like this, mm -hmm. because they have uh, a little bit, they're like where the buck stops in terms of like being able to have those things. And so Chubb actually insurance is the first US American insurer to say, we're actually going to limit how much we insure oil and gas. We, we realize that we play a role here and uh, we need to get our clients to transition to better energy sources because it is undercutting us. Uh, now, it's it's very um, lukewarm what they the um, what their policy is. It's not aligned with the Paris goals at all. But it's a first step by United States insurer. And there are other reinsurers that are not U.S. based who have started to say, hey, maybe this is bad for business if we uh, insure the same thing 
that uh, is causing us to make these huge, massive payouts. It's a little bit like, oh, we're going to prevent crime by paying the mafia, but then the <laughs> mafia just keeps on hitting people anyway, right? So <laughs> they really need to focus on um, ensuring things that will be profitable in the future, which is not going to be fossil fuel projects. So there's other enablers in addition to the banks and the insurers and the reinsurers. There's some uh, investors like BlackRock and private equity firms. That's right. And so one of the things we talk about in Banking on Climate Chaos is uh, how private equity firms are kind of snapping up, um, you know, the projects that fossil fuel companies are leaving be behind. Um, for example, we talk about Crescent Energy, uh, and they were formed by KKR, which is a private equity company. And basically, they uh, merged together two failing fossil fuel companies, created this thing called Crescent Energy, and then immediately bought up all of these leases in Wyoming from Shell. And so Shell, when a fossil fuel company wants to say, oh, yeah, we're meeting our climate goals, they sell the infrastructure and the private equity is snapping them up. And so the issue here is that private equity asset managers don't have the same disclosures as banks. So we really don't know how much is they are financing and supporting the fossil fuel industry. And um, that's like where our retirement and all of our savings are that we are depending on for our whole lives are snapping up these dirty projects that are gonna be worthless here in the short term. And, but they don't have to report on it. So we're not sure if we're able to do the same sort of public pressure like we are on banks and um, other financial mechanisms. So the SEC is working on a rule to require publicly traded corporations to, to disclose their climate change risk. Would that address this issue at all? Um, the SEC rule has been delayed, and I actually don't know much about that. I would, um, I think you would uh, really benefit from talking to the Sierra Club, who also works in fossil-free finance, and they focus more on the regulators, like uh, you know, FERC, which approves uh, um, fossil fuel projects, and the SEC, and the Treasury and Congress. So they're great people to talk to about how is our politics moving towards keeping us and the planet alive. At Rainforest Action Network, we really focus on the corporations that can really, uh, if they want to, lead the way. Oh, yeah. And, and this is an amazing, amazing report. It's, it's very beautifully done visually, and uh, there's all kinds of interactions. Let me tell people how they can find Banking on Climate Chaos. It's bankingonclimatechaos.org. And it uh, has a lot of pages where you can sort things by corporations or, or by the bank. Um, it's just an amazing piece of work. And I, I guess you've been doing this for a while. You've been doing this for over a decade, right? Every year? Yeah, we have released this report every year for 14 years. When we first released this report, banks were kind of like, we aren't contributing to climate chaos. <laughs> we have nothing to do with it. Um, but at this point, I think with the health hazards and the economic damage that the fossil fuel companies, if you are supporting fossil fuels, you are basically supporting big tobacco. You're supporting marketing to kids to get addicted to something that's going to give them cancer. Uh, with the amount of pollution that it causes, with the amount of destabilization it has. And so it's the same moral imperative 
you got to ask yourself at the end of the day, do you really want to be supporting companies that are destroying homes? And I think one out of five people worldwide um, die from air pollution, from fossil fuel burning. So it's the 14th annual, and uh, I don't know how many supporting organizations or endorsing organizations you had 14 years ago, but it's 600 today. <laughs> Over 600 this year, yeah. We had 750 this year oh. from 75 or from 93 nations when we finally uh, were published it on uh, about a month ago. Um, you know, uh, economic, um, environmental organizations all over the world. Uh, um, they endorse this because basically it's like publishing the dictionary of <laughs> what banks actually give to fossil fuel companies because banks and fossil fuel companies, their PR is very slick. <laughs> you hear about carbon markets, carbon credits, carbon exchanges, um, ESG, you know, like biodiversity credits. It's like every year since we have been putting out this report, there's some new scheme. Oh, they love net zero now in Glasgow, uh, net zero alliance uh, for, you know, insurers and for banks saying, okay, we're going to get to net zero through carbon trading or carbon, um, carbon capture and sequestration. None of that works. It doesn't work. <laughs> it just does work. not work. And what we know works is if you don't give money to the fossil fuel industry, then we say, okay, you're not an enabler. You're on our side. You're on the side of your average customer. It's very interesting because the Biden administration, for example, has put out a plan to all power plants in the United States, coal power plants, and has said, okay, by this day, you either actually have your carbon capture and storage technology working to offset at net zero like you promised you would, or it shuts down. And most of the response is like, well, um, carbon capture and storage doesn't work, so I guess not we're yet. all <laughs> down by this date. And that's and recent, just, is it not? That's very yeah, recent. Yeah, that's really recent, yeah. this past summer, mm -hmm. and it's there's probably going to be lawsuits. Who knows if he's actually going to be able to get it, but I almost want this to be a strategy to say, okay, get every fossil fuel client you have banks to officially adopt carbon capture and storage by you know 2026, mm -hmm. and if they don't, you drop them as a client. And they would say no, because it doesn't work, and we would have to drop them as a yeah. client. Mm -hmm. Just goes to show, like, they just keep on coming up with new schemes, um, the carbon uh, credit scheme and the carbon market scheme. There's always these, uh, you know, exposés about how the carbon accreditation of buying the forest or whatever it is mm -hmm. doesn't work and abuses all of these human rights. And so you have to keep it in the ground and not burn it in the first place. That's the only way we're going to get through this. Not carbon offsets, not biodiversity, not carbon markets, not net zero. Do not burn the stuff in the first place. And especially do not expand whatsoever. We have all of the infrastructure we need right now in order to transition over to a people-centered energy economy for energy independence. That's a really important part of this report that you have a, a whole section on false solutions, what you've just described, the carbon offsets and all of that stuff. And, and the, uh, the basic fact is that you just have to leave it in the ground. All this other stuff is just hocus pocus, really. Um, like you say, it doesn't work. And there's a lot of weaselly stuff, I believe. I think I sent you one, uh, 
thing. I was looking at uh, a disclaimer in the Bank of America because these banks all before, they were, as you mentioned, they were just sort of neutral. Now they realize they can't get away with that because it's a real looming disaster. And so, so they're responding, but they're responding slowly with false solutions and with some kind of weaselly language. This is out of the Bank of America. It says um, they're... Um, energy, social, and governance information here that they're providing you because you want to be a, a good uh, customer of a, of, of a good bank, right? Our information is based on current or historic goals, targets, commitment, estimates, assumptions, standards, methodologies, and internal control frameworks and currently available data, which continue to evolve and develop. ESG information and any statements made in connection therewith are not guarantees or promises that any metrics, aspirations, goals, targets, or commitments will be met. So they just have this whole thing saying, well, we, we said this, but we're not going to do it. <laughs> well, banks are, you know, these huge institutions are just expert at loopholes. One of the things we talk about in the report is that 4% of all climate policy um, actually is about corporations. 96% of it is about specific projects or regions or sectors. Um, and so what that means is that, uh, for example, take the Willow Project in Alaska. A lot of people are like, oh, no, we don't want to uh, have that go on. There's a lot of opposition to it. And so banks are happy to market, oh, yes, we do not finance any project in Alaska, we have an Arctic exclusion policy, yet they have no problem financing ConocoPhillips. ConocoPhillips is the one doing the Willow project oh, in Alaska. No. So yeah. do they think that this sleight of hand really matters? Because according to our analysis, it doesn't. Corporations get all the money they want and they're not really restricted by project or by sector or by region because uh, the, the climate policies are just so narrow but there is ton of marketing done from the bank saying, look at us, we protect the Amazon. Look at us, we don't do offshore. We are not part of fracking. Yes, you are. If you are funding, if you're financing these corporations, those you are, are complicit in the crisis and uh, in destroying people's homes and everything that is happening across the globe. And the only way is to not finance fossil fuel companies or do a clear transition plan of what you're going to do, like I said, with the carbon capture and sequestration, uh, you know, like if all clients can't actually be net zero by this date, we're dropping them. There's no plans like that except for Le Bank Postal. And what's really weird, well, a lot of this is weird, but one other weird thing is like there's an upswing in profits right now. And banks, you know, they can see that the, the end is near. They're not going to be able to get away with this much longer. Uh, so they're in a position uh, with all this profitability right now to make good on their climate change commitments. They've got the, they've got the, the money to do it right now, but it's not really happening. Yeah, I think there's a real mentality of kick the can down the road. I'm the CEO, I'm the board member, this is a problem maybe in 10 years, by that time, I'm not going to be there. Or there's a lot of hubris of, you know, uh, that they are used to controlling the world to be the way they want it. They are the one who sets the table. So that's why they play the game. But I think the climate is showing over and over again, it is uh, going to make us all humble. It's going to meet 1.5 C this year or even more in the future, right? Like there's, it doesn't matter how much money you have, 
how much influence you have, we're going to be under climate chaos and you can't buy a private island in Alaska and a security team and a yacht to escape it. We're all affected by this. We're all in the same boat and we all need to get on the same page that we can't be enabling the fossil fuel industry. Let me take a minute to mention to listeners that we're talking with Shauna Foster. She's the communications manager for climate and energy at Rainforest Action Network. And we're discussing how big banks are profiting from climate chaos and somewhat focused on the recent report, annual report, that uh, has come from Rainforest Action Network. I think it was released in March. It's called Banking on Climate Chaos, Fossil Fuel Finance Report for 2023. It's the 14th annual edition of this. And if you'd like to get in on the conversation, make any comments, the number here is 895-2448. That's in area code 707. Again, 895-2448. Another important part of this report, and there are many, is the effect of all of this on indigenous lands because, you know, a lot of that's where a lot of this uh, extraction stuff is going on, and, uh, and the indigenous people are really objecting to this. They're, they're, I guess they, it's the indigenous network that's saying that all of this has to stay in the ground, and you've done a lot of. Uh, Frontline stories on actual projects and the heartbreaking effect it has on the people that that lived have lived there forever. Yeah, I I think you know the Indigenous Environmental Network um, and the Pueblo Workers Alliance they have done a really great job about false solutions, and that's why we at Rainforest Action Network the only way we're going to solve climate chaos is through human rights. Um, indigenous peoples, for example, um, don't account much for a percentage of the entire world, but are in charge of 80% of the last of intact lands, of intact forests. And these are the carbon sinks that we depend on to be able to take carbon out of the atmosphere and keep us from warming. Um, and indigenous rights all over the world are being eroded and taken away uh, through various financial mechanisms and country standards. Um, and so if we really fight for the right of indigenous peoples, we're able to preserve so much. But, you know, not all indigenous nations are the same. And what they're asking for is just the free prior and informed consent. A lot of times what you have is colonialism around the world when it comes to energy. For example, in Mozambique, um, there's the uh, Delgado region um, that uh, had um, had. Um, Total Energies wants to build the biggest LNG facility ever there off the coast. And so they're buying people out and pushing them inland so that they can control it. Well, there was a militia that killed like 14, 15 of, of their workers back in 2020. And so Total Energies said it's a force majeure. Now they, they stopped everything. Now Total Energies is touring the area to see if it's stabilized so that they can continue this. But Total Energies money adds to the instability of Mozambique because people, local warlords, local militias are fighting for this gas money. But most of that energy is going to get piped up north. It's not going to go to the local uh, people in Mozambique. And people in Mozambique, like Hurricane Freddy or Cyclone Freddy that came through earlier this year is uh, the world record for like the longest storm that has ever happened and it went out into the ocean and came back and hit Mozambique twice. Mm, 
That doesn't happen to people where this energy is going to. Mm -hmm. And so there's energy poverty and uh, colonialism going on. And so people, where they live, they want to have the same access that we have, uh, that people in the global north have, uh, to, to their own energy sources that are local to them. And so people often think, oh, well, you know, with what you're demanding, you're demanding we switch off the energy, you know, to carbon tomorrow. And we simply can't do that. We have steel. We have this. We have this. No, nobody's saying that. Nobody in the environmental movement really honestly thinks that we're going to be able to run by solar wind tomorrow. What we're asking for is a clear transition plan and the consent of the local people who that plan is going to affect. Like we know that there's people who entire economies depend on oil drilling, that depend on fracking, that depend on tar sands, that there isn't anything else out there. And we're not saying that the person who is working on tar sands should have no job tomorrow. We're saying we need a transition over so that they could work on solar panels or something else in the economy there, that there needs to be a transition and you will sometimes hear banks talk about this. Well, we need our clients to transition. We need to help them. They need money so that they can transition. And the problem with that is, is that they're only thinking CEO to CEO. Oh, I've mm -hmm. got to help my friend at the Total <laughs> Energies be able to transition so that they can continue to make money. And that's not really what we're talking about, especially when we're talking about a just transition. Because this year, uh, or actually in 2022, uh, oil companies made $4 trillion in income, $4 trillion in income. So they are booming off of this opportunism from the Ukraine war. They have so much money. And you know what they did? They cut their transition programs. They cut mm -hmm. their green algae program that they mm -hmm. were working on. They cut on energy transition and they put all this money into more expo exploration and expansion of what it is. These fossil fuel companies want every single last drop of carbon out of the ground and to burn it. And they want to keep on do, selling a snake oil for as long as possible uh, so that banks and fossil fuel companies allow them to do it. So banks need to stop joining them in their song and dance and saying, well, we want to help them transition. You're not going to help them transition by financing because that's not what they do with the money. Mm -hmm. But you do have power. Banks do have power. They like to pretend they're the victims. Oh, we don't know what to do. <laughs> Just help you control trillions of dollars. You have the power to set the policies to say you'll have to get your money from somewhere else. If you don't have an actual transition plan, if you don't keep your green algae plan going or whatever false solution they have at the end of the day, hmm. unless you're working with people to have local control of their energy, working on energy independence, we don't want you as a client. Mm -hmm. They have the power to say that. Let's take a moment for a caller that called in just a moment ago. Caller, are you there? What's your first name and from where are you calling? Hi, I'm uh, Heather from Albion. Hello, Heather. Hi. Um... I just keep being struck by, as a, just hearing news over and over and whatnot, it's like, how much do any of us have the authority and the right to say no? Because there are things, and they don't have to be these great big things, but there are things that just need a no. They're just, they're not okay. And so I guess what I'm thinking is, is that if we could practice 
ourselves and standing with each other in just saying no to things on a closer-to-home level, we could maybe get some practice because Congress doesn't know how to say no. It's all about, you know, negotiating and maneuvering and this and that. Some things just need the no. And if, and if some things get a no and then get actually dismantled, if they need to get dismantled, and it doesn't need to, I mean, are we going to wait for riots to dismantle some of this stuff? You know, we need practice doing no. And artificial intelligence is another one of the great big ones. That's just a no. But it's like the government has lost its way, has forfeit its authority by neglecting its duty, and this isn't a political thing. It's a human thing. And human beings have power if they support each other in it. So let's start small. Let's practice at home. Let's make effective no's and actually... Because the no's are way more important than the yeses are right now. Okay, That's well, my spiel. <laughs> Thank you for one. your call then. Thank you. Okay, okay appreciate it. And 895-2448 for anyone else that would like to call in and comment. We're speaking with Shauna Foster of the Rainforest Action Network about how big banks are profiting from climate chaos. And what did you think of the just say no? I know there are occasions where people can do that, like a... Oh, a permit for a new gas station in town. People could uh, get together and and say yeah, no. I think that's the important thing about consent, right? Like, if uh, if something's getting built near you that you don't want built, you have the ability to say no. And I think boundaries are really important. Um, and I think the best thing, though, is when we can say no together. Like I was talking about with the shareholder proposals, with uh, these proposals that go before banks and bank boards saying, hey, we want you to put a transition plan as to when you're going to say no to clients who are not actually going to keep us aligned with the Paris goals to prevent the planet from runaway climate chaos and um, global warming. Let me uh, just mention back on the topic just a moment ago. Uh, the idea of uh, saying no to more gas stations in the area. And so to keep uh, or mentions of local relevance here, the issue of no future gas stations in the city of Ikaya was one of the considerations a year ago when the city was developing its uh, climate resolution. It is now working on a climate action plan, but, but a climate resolution was being developed and it was adopted in June a year ago. Um, however, that particular issue was, was consciously omitted. So the, um, the, uh, um, you know, staff and management in the city of Ikaya did not want to ban future gas stations in the town. Uh, there are some cities that have done that. I believe there's a few in Sonoma County. I don't know the others offhand, but it is a, you know, a coming, um, uh, you know, political issue uh, around the, the country, and it is, you know, slight political issue here in, in in the Ukiah area, and may, I assume it will come up again in the future sometime, perhaps later this year. You re uh, reported, it looks at a lot of trends, all kinds of uh, things that are going on, and last year, I guess for the first time, the dirtiest of the dirty dozen was a Canadian bank. 
You want to talk? Yeah, there is an interesting uh, trend that we're noticing. And when we talk to the Canadian campaigners, they're saying that Canada is becoming the uh, Canadian banks are becoming the banks of last resort. Uh, Canada is trying to develop its dirty energy infrastructure. They have a disastrous Trans Mountain expansion pipeline. They have tar sands and fracked wells. And uh, they have lots of Indigenous nations that they are violating their sovereignty by trying to put this infrastructure over that have um, really awesome uh, land defense movements. And uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline was such a bad investment that the private company that started it dropped out. And then Canada, the government, bought it. And it's over budget and delayed year after year. And they just need to not build it out. Nobody wants these pipelines. Nobody wants these tar sands. And uh, Canadian energy, it's really interesting to, nobody thinks of, you know, blame Canada, but they (laughs) are everywhere in uh, funding a lot of these things. And so um, Royal Bank of Canada last year uh, funded 40 billion, over $40 billion into fossil fuel uh, companies, including fracking and tar sands and things all over the world. Forty um, billion, forty Ouch. billion in twenty twenty two alone. Mm-hmm. Now, when we look at overall long term trends, though, since twenty sixteen, J P Morgan Chase is still the hugest, uh, four hundred and thirty four billion dollars, and so the top. Um, banks, the top four banks uh, since 2016 are J.P. Morgan Chase, Citibank, Wells Fargo, and Bank of America. But Royal Bank of Canada has come up into the top six ranking, um, giving $252 billion of financing since 2016. And MUFG, which is a Japanese bank, has also gotten to the top six of the dirty dozen at $219 billion. Uh, so these banks, um, you know, it's kind of they're just playing musical chairs and how much the investing is going up um, over, over over time. It just keeps on rising. And despite the Paris Agreement, despite their net zero agreements, we really don't see any change in financing unless they intentionally say, OK, we get it like Le Bank Postal. So uh, Canada is the big winner of the dirtiest for last year, but it's still dominated by U.S. companies and Japanese companies, I guess. Well, the U.S. total share of financing last year, because um, last year financing was $669 billion, were financed by the top 60 banks to the top 2,200 fossil fuel companies. Um, So... Of that $669 billion, 28% of it is from U.S. banks. So USA is still number one in the total share of how much they finance climate chaos. And if you get into the 12 worst worst banks since the Paris agreements, you start to see some Chinese. Also on your top uh, dirty dozen, uh, the Bank of China, I guess, the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China. And yeah, I mean, it depends if you're looking since the Paris Agreement was enacted or in 2022. Um, if you're looking since the Paris Agreement was enacted, uh, there's not Chinese banks there. Uh, the next bank after MUFG is Japanese. Um, and then you have Barclays, which is European, Mizuho, which is Japanese, Scotiabank, um, TD Bank, 
BNP, Parabas, and Morgan Stanley. So for a long time, um, it has been a European and two Japanese banks really dominating this fossil fuel uh, funding bonanza. And then in 2022, you do have some move on um, Chinese banks because of the financing of coal. Most U.S. banks have stopped financing coal uh, because they view it as a dirty sector and a bad policy. So they do have some sector policies, and we do see that as being partially effective, which is why we know that when the policies are implemented, it does work to reduce emissions and reduce the amount of expansion and extraction of dirty energy. We have a second call that's come in. Let's take that. Caller, you are live on the air. What's your first name and from where are you calling? Good evening. My name is Gizmo, and I'm calling from Greenfield Ranch. And I just wanted to ask, um, well, first, I, I just from memory, is uh, we had the first electric car, and then we didn't think it was going to be worth it, and then Priuses came out, and everybody wanted one. So what are the success stories? What are the marketing strategies for banks that are uh, working with uh companies that are uh can uh, i just wanted to kind of hopefully end the show on a happy note see if you have any <laughs> success stories for us and and uh um and i'd also just a uh, comment on a piggyback on the other caller saying no i think it goes deeper as internally just even realizing that you don't have to floor your your vehicle to get on the freeway if no one is in the lane. If no one's on the freeway, you can take your time and not have to, <laughs> to uh, drop all that fuel down there. So it, it can go all the way back to just the smaller little things that we each do each time if we're speeding up to a stoplight or we're we're buying a vehicle that is really large that we probably don't really need or will. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for your call, Gizmo. Yeah. So the success stories are, uh, you know, banks that implement uh, successful policies. And I would say the coal sector for the United States is a pretty successful a success story. Um, last year, for the first time worldwide, there was more energy generated from um, renewable energy than coal. And so you can see that when we intentionally make policies and work together and say, okay, we can't do this type of energy anymore. A transition happens. But people have to understand now we can't just think of coal as the dirty energy. All fossil fuels is bad, dirty energy that we do not want. Like right now in Asia, a lot of uh, those nations do run on coal. And so they are being sold this bill by the Biden administration that they should have methane gas instead. Um, because in the Gulf, there's like over 20 permit applications for methane gas export facilities that are coming from gas in the United States from the Permian Basin. And so we wanna try, the United States wants to try and sell that. But really what would be beneficial is if Asian countries could do what European countries are doing right now, which is switching over to local control of renewables. Europe right now is able to say that 15% of its energy is coming from renewables, which is far faster than they ever predicted. But they listened to Ukrainian environmentalists who said, do not use the Ukrainian war as a reason to pump out or Russia invasion of our country as a reason to pump out more pollution. 
we have the technology and we have the time do renewables now and they are doing it and they're doing it much faster than anybody could have predicted but that is when everybody is aligned and working together if you have the united states administration um right now there's a g7 event going on um with rahm emanuel telling the g7 hey methane gas that is clean it is not clean um the all, all the there's all these reports that are coming out about how methane gas leaks um, in your home, in your gas stove, how it gives you cancer, how it pollutes your home, how there's all these leaks. We'll just nationalize a gas stove across the whole nation from the point of extraction with fracking to along the pipeline to the export terminal. There are leaks the entire way that are polluting and causing global warming. Methane gas is a fossil fuel. It's called liquid natural gas, but it's really methane gas because that's the primary element. That's what the energy is coming from. It leaks and it is um, so many more times of a fossil fuel greenhouse gas emitter than coal is when you look at how much it leaks into the atmosphere. And so, you know, all countries around the world, countries that have not had access to energy that have been the places where all the resources are that suffer from colonialism, where it gets pumped up to the north, though everybody deserves their own renewable transition if they want that. They deserve their own local control. It shouldn't just be reserved for Europe to say, okay, well, we're going to switch over to renewables now. Everybody else, you can have gas from the United States. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is not fair. And that's another thing that banks can be doing. Um, the United Nations, IPCC, they issued this report and said the financing is not aligned. There's so much more financing that can go to countries that need it for climate adaptation and mitigation. And so for Rainforest Action Network, like it's energy independence that we want people to have, to be able to have local control and to not have these false solutions that violate people's human rights, especially indigenous nations and people who um, become climate refugees because of an unstable climate. Mm -hmm. We have a call. Uh, call your life on the air. What is your first name and for where are you calling? Oh, hi, Robert from Fort Bragg, California. Hello, Robert. Um, methanol and ethanol can be made from wood chips, and um, we can uh, accomplish two coal goals at the same time. For example, methanol and ethanol pull carbon out of the air, and when they're burned in a flex-fuel vehicle, you can actually burn straight uh, ethanol. Um it cleans the engine and cleans the air. And with the wildfire threat we have, especially in the American West, fuel load reduction can be accomplished in the forest. The forest can be cleaned up. I know the Native American in Indians are very interested in this. <clears throat> and the wood chips can be We have a little snafu here. Yeah, we had a little drop out there. Go ahead. I guess. I guess is he is he still there? Uh, the the line is on, but his oh, okay. voice faded there. Well, maybe we could get a reaction face. from from let me, try, let me put him on hold here for a minute. Yeah, I I mean he's right. The me, biggest source of carbon emissions in the United States is our cars. 
Um, and so being able to transition to something that's a little bit clean burning is good. But really, you know, a lot of people ask us like, well, what should I do? Should I recycle more? Do I buy an EV? Do I switch banks? And you could be totally perfectly pure. Like you could be off the home, you know, totally off grid, do everything right. Um, you know, make sure that you have zero ecological impact and your house will still burn down from climate chaos. Because what <laughs> we need is to move together in concert against the folks that are enabling climate chaos to happen. If you have an account at Chase Bank, you need to pay attention to the shareholder meetings and support organizations like Third Act that is putting pressure on the banks to transition. Um, we cannot American exceptionalize ourselves individually out of this problem. This is a time where we all need to be aligned and working together on banks, insurers, private equity ma asset managers, fossil fuel companies, and say, we will have no planet if you keep doing this. You mm -hmm. cannot expand anymore. We have to have a just transition now. Okay, and one more call we can take here. Caller, you are live on the air. What's your first name and from where are you calling? And by the way, apologies to Robert. Something went wrong with the previous call in the middle of it. But go ahead, caller. Hello? Yes. Hi. Yeah, Danny from Ukiah. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I heard you say one good thing that I really liked a minute ago uh, is the climate chaos because... I think anybody pro eco green has to stop saying uh, climate change, our climate change problem, because what's more, what's more numbing or meaningless than change, right? So I like climate crisis or climate chaos. It notifies people of the urgency. But anyway, so my main point and the way I think we all should really approach the thing, you know, too many green people are like, I'm not saying you did, I didn't hear most of the show, but, um, you know, like carrying on from the 1970s, 60s or 70s, whatever, like this transition, oh, we got to sacrifice, and it's going to cost money, you know. And I'm saying no, 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 because, I mean, technology is dragging us forward, whether humans like it or not. And I'm saying the big point is that it's quicker, cheaper, and easier to buy renewables than it is to steal oil. So it's no longer anything about, oh, do the right thing for us, for your children, blah, blah, blah. No, it's just, hey, you want to get rich quick? This is better economically. <laughs> it's exponentially better for our economy to make this switch. Okay, thanks for your call, and let's thanks, see thank you. what Sean has to say. A little psychology there. We, we only have five minutes a little over five minutes left, and I did want to ask you, Shauna, about the demands that come at the end of this report. Yeah, our demands are what we have seen um, that actually changes the system. So the first thing we say is to prohibit all finance for fossil fuel expansion immediately. Again, this this is based on the science that says we have everything we need now. We have all the infrastructure. We have all the sources of energy that we need from fossil fuels. There is no reason. And exactly like the last caller is saying, it's actually better financially if we transition over. It's by better financially for banks and for insurers and for private equity managers if we transition over um, and definitely by stopping the fossil fuel expansion. The next thing we talk about is that we um, reduce 
absolute emissions. So this is cutting through the greenwash again because you will hear things like financed emissions or offsets or net zero. And absolute emissions refer to that burning of any fossil fuels. Um, anything else is trying to do a compromise that does not work. Um, it's like there's no carbon markets or carbon trading or carbon uh, capture and sequestration. Absolute emissions must be reduced. And we in the global north are the ones who burn the most energy. So that's what's got to be reduced. And uh, banks, like I said, have a big, powerful place to play in demanding that their fossil fuel clients, if they want to buy their debt, then they need to do a much better job about their absolute emissions. Um, the next thing we talk about is robust transition plans for all existing fossil fuel clients. Like you read the Bank of America statement about like, we might maybe somehow, but not bindingly ask people to do maybe the right thing. <laughs> so we need more robust transition plans that say, hey, ExxonMobil, if you do not reduce your absolute emissions by this month, then in three years, we're dropping you as a client or we're going to recall our loans or something so that um, it's much more concrete. These are the steps that we are doing to make sure that we're actually aligned with uh, not keeping the planet warming beyond 1.5 degrees centigrade and stopping or at least mitigating some of the climate chaos that's going on. I might have to interrupt you now because we just have two minutes left. One minute left, actually. One minute left. So there's uh, two more demands. We talked about a little bit about uh, some of it. So people should just go to that website. Uh, okay, bankingonclimatechaos.org. Yeah. Where the report is. Uh, the Rainforest a Action Network is simply RAN, R-A-N, dot O-R-G. And there's some other resources that you might find interesting at stopthemoneypipeline.org. Okay. So, Shauna, you are wonderfully facile at explaining these things yeah, to a lot listeners. Of information. I appreciate it very, very much. It's been our pleasure to have you on the air. Shauna Foster. From the Rainforest Action Network. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye bye. And you've been listening to Corporations and Democracy. This is the program that uh, talks about corporate excesses and that the uh, excess of corporate rights built into the law in the nation. But that specific issue we talk about in other other um, uh, editions of the program. And we are here on third Thursdays from 7 to 8 p.m. The next edition will be on Thursday, June 15th. And for further information about what you can do to correct corporate dominance of our democracy, go to www.thealliancefordemocracy.org. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.